One of the reasons why I love Asana so much is because it was created to help teams organize, track, and manage their work so that they can accomplish more. It doesn't matter what time of day or time zone you find yourself in, teams are always aligned no matter what. Book a call to see how Asana can make the difference in eliminating work about work within your team. Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. Today I'm speaking with Ali Schwanke. Ali is the founder of Simple Strat, a Diamond HubSpot Solutions partner and B2B content marketing agency. She's also the co-host of HubSpot Hacks, the unofficial YouTube channel for HubSpot tutorials with more than 1 million views and over 15,000 subscribers. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that you could be here. I think I would have to check to know for sure, but I think this is the first episode where we're just like talking all about HubSpot. Uh, yeah, well, that, I feel like I do that every day. So let's dig in. And yeah. you know what? I have to say, we are we just passed the 18,000 subscribers okay. on YouTube. So that's exciting. Great. But, uh, you know, who would have thought you could have talked about a product and automation so much that, you know, people wanted to follow it. So no kidding. Uh, we're, we're an exciting time. That's for sure. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't consider myself to be an expert. I'm more of a power user of HubSpot. Been using it since 2015 or so. Yeah. Um, done implementations and, you know, onboarding for customers. But my platform's Asana. And so my YouTube channel, same nice. thing. I'm nowhere near 18,000, but it's growing steadily. But same thing, like same sentiment. Like people just want to gather around something, you know, central and that brings them together. And in my case, it's been the the work management tool, Asana. So, um, so cool. Glad to have this chat today. So why don't you fill in some of the blanks then, Ali? Like, how did you get your start? How long have you been using uh, HubSpot and what do you do day to day? Sure. Well, I think one of the things that makes me unique as an um, entrepreneur is I'm both a marketer and an entrepreneur. And so um, I would say that the start to any business is kind of a you have an inkling of a I think I could I could do this or I could solve this problem. And, you know, I've, I've had a couple of different businesses over the years, but Simple Strat started in 2016 as a sort of manifesto of how I was going to help the marketing industry do its job better, essentially. And, you know, that's kind of a tall order. It's really vague. Marketing is vague in and of itself, um, which is why I think our industry is is subject to a lot of folks like misunderstanding it and getting burned. So um, we delved into HubSpot in about 2017, became partners. And ultimately, like that, uh, I would have never told you that specificity and niching down was as valuable as it is until you actually do it right right and so we've been focusing on hubspot helping folks get more out of that platform and it's not that you can't do some of those things that you want to do on other platforms it just um if you hire someone to help you automate your business um you they need to know the platform better than anybody else because you don't know what you don't know so that's been a win for us and ultimately day to day we um we obviously have our channel that we're creating content we're driving leads there we're talking about uh, shows like this but we've got a team of about nine folks that help customers worldwide and mostly in the canada uh, canadian and, and u.s but um outside of that we also have folks that are overseas and tap into us to help grow their business with hubspot so good and um i use hubspot for my sales my marketing my crms in there and i love the platform but when i got started 
Um, I didn't have the best onboarding experience. I didn't have mm-hmm. a partner. I was using the professional services team from HubSpot. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a great onboarding experience, but I was motivated to learn. And so I did. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you've worked with people that have gotten burned in the past. I'd love to know why that is, because in my experience, it was that HubSpot is this big empty box that you can do just mm-hmm. about anything with. But like you said, you don't know what you don't know. So people think that they're that they can implement this tool. And I see this quite often implement this tool and it's going to solve all of their marketing automation and sales problems. But mm-hmm. obviously that's not the case. So first part of that question, why do you think people are getting burned and how do you help them get over that hump where HubSpot is more than just a big empty box? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the appeal when people buy it. And that's what the sales team loves to lean into when you're talking to sales folks at HubSpot. You can do so many things with it. Yeah. But um, I equate that to my one of my favorite movies growing up was A Little Mermaid. And obviously they just came out with like the the new uh, development of that. But, you know, she used a fork as a hairbrush because that's what she thought it was supposed to be used for. And so then she good. goes to dinner with the prince and she's like combing her hair and they're looking at her like, what the heck are you doing? And I think all the time that that happens when you have a blank slate and you don't have context for what that blank slate is supposed to have on it. And unfortunately, when you hire folks at a software company who work there and their goal is to get you to use more of the product, it's not their fault that they don't have the business context. But you're typically not going to get people who have run operations at a company, ran a marketing team, ran a sales team helping you with implementation. You're getting somewhat of a recipe of how to do implementation and onboarding the best that they can do based on their training. When we work with folks, I mean, we are sales, marketing, and entrepreneur first. And so we run our business on HubSpot. I can open up my portal. I can show you how we do things. I can talk through that from a like, let me tell you what the book says. And then I'm going to tell you how people actually act. (laughs) Right? It's like, here's my plan for getting in shape the day before New Year's. And then New Year's hits. And then a week later, you're like, yeah, that plan sucks. Yeah. So we we've seen a lot of those um, the way that people drive off the road and what's going to happen when they hit those rocks. And so we've built our process around avoiding those things. But then the other part is there are some very specific things in HubSpot you have to get correct in order to get the reporting that you want. So 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 many times people will say, "I want to do things like this on HubSpot," and some company that that wants to make the customer happy at that point in time will say, "Okay." And then six months later, they're like, well, we can't get the data that we want. We can't get the reports that we want. Yeah. What goes in what come, is what comes out. So if you want to be able to report on, let's say, meeting and call behavior, okay, you're going to have to have your lead statuses set up in a very particular way. You can't have 25 lead statuses. Your lifecycle stages need to be mapped to a very specific point in the journey, and they have to be descriptive and not vague. It's all that kind of stuff that we, um, we've seen it, and we guide you through that, and we'll, we'll caution you. Hey, if you take this fork on the road, you're going to you're going to hit some potholes. And at least we've known we've done our job. And like if you hit the potholes, we'll remind you. Remember when we talked about these potholes? Like this is why. So I think we help folks uh, understand all of that. And we see dozens of portals every day. And that leads to you know thousands of portals a year. So um, it just uh, the expertise kind of builds on itself. Right. And because you see so many, like it's just it's second nature to you. Like I can look at someone's Asana within 30 seconds. Yeah. I know exactly what the solution is, right? That they've been trying to uh, come to. And so walk us through where you start. I mean, you have these documented strategies, right? That you, you recommend for a lot of your customers for growing uh, like a, a content platform from scratch, for example. 
you know, you mentioned that there are definitely key things you need in your HubSpot platform. So let's answer those first. What are those key things? And then what are the steps if we are starting from scratch? Sure. Well, a content platform, when we when it relates to HubSpot. So let me define how, how we look at that. And that is having some sort of conversion action that draws people into want to submit a form of some kind. So that might mean you have a newsletter. That might mean that you have a download offer. You have a webinar. I think there's this conversation around marketing right now of like, ooh, let's not gate anything because people are afraid to submit forms. They're not afraid to submit forums. They're afraid to be tricked into no value, terrible offers. <laughs> Let's be clear on that, right? So when it comes to creating a content platform, the first thing people often get wrong is they go for forums in front of things for forum's sake instead of what is the best way to drive value for this audience right now and what is going to compel someone to want to part with their information in order for them to achieve a next step in their journey. And if that's the case, they probably don't want to be followed up with immediately with a phone call after they download something either. So this is where that automation piece comes in. And I think too often than not, I've been in conversations where someone downloads something. And when I tell the company, hey, we probably should nurture this person, they're like, okay, right, let's nurture them. Let's drip them some emails. And I say, okay, what are we going to say to them? I don't know. What should we say to them? <laughs> and so it's this like strategic conversation around all of the next steps that if you don't have content that leads them in that journey and you just have content about yourself and your product, you're probably already dead in the water. So the building blocks of good content strategy mean what questions are they asking? How do I build a relationship so I can accelerate their understanding of me and trust in a shorter time period so that they obviously reach out to us when they're ready to transact a sale? Good. And a lot of what you said, I mean, we have these thoughts around what marketing should look like. And you gave us a perfect example right there, right? Like it's this, this back and forth where we're not sure what to say. Um, do you help at that point develop the strategy or is is it you know too soon for you to come in um, if that strategy hasn't been developed or if that voice hasn't already been developed for that customer? Because that can derail an entire marketing strategy if that's already not established. Yeah, ideally for us, the best place for our team to fit in is if you've got some of that already documented and developed. And that's something that, you know, we used to do do brand strategy, content strategy, and we will still do that in a um, in a window. But that means like if you haven't figured out your competitive advantage and the way you're positioned in the marketplace, you should work with a consultant or, or do that work internally because that will ultimately result in what you should post about and what you should talk about and that sort of thing. But for example, for us, our goal is to generate awareness of our HubSpot expertise in the marketplace. Okay, there's a lot of different ways you can do that, but what makes us uniquely different is we have a whole YouTube channel. So we're leaning into the fact that like, you don't, you don't wanna have a meeting right now. We have 106 videos where you can technically meet with us without right. worrying about us like, you know, badgering you in your inbox. So our message and our content strategy is largely based on that. And people expect a third party to sometimes figure that out for them. Yeah. And what they need to be willing to do is say, I'm going to go in this direction. I'm going to stay here for a while. Too often they want to hedge their bets by putting like 17 eggs in 17 baskets. And then you just end up with a bunch of like half empty baskets that don't really do anything for you. Right. That's so good. And how does that tie into to messaging then? Like I know we're 
we're getting into like marketing strategy development here, but you, you mentioned that there's this touch point between like the journey and the story you want to share. And then there's the product and the service that you need to sell on. And obviously people we know now gravitate more towards story and finding about finding out about people. Are you finding that there's there's a sweet spot for brands specifically to share this story? Because we know that with, you know, often faceless, you know, social personas, right? There's not as much interaction. We're not connecting. Do you feel that every brand should have that front person that is speaking on behalf of the brand and our, our strategy is more effective when we do that? Or does it not matter as much? Yeah, so we'll actually answer that absence of the word story because the reason and the reason I say that is too many times for folks that are not in marketing, story sounds like once upon a time and we have to tell the story of a yeah. customer and they, they only see story in this sort of like one dimensional capacity. And I do think that faceless marketing is struggling because we now are like, there's a couple questions that are coming up in circles. And one is, is there even a company behind this or is this AI? Like, am I even, yeah. am I even, you know, interacting with a brand or did they just shove this through some AI system? Yeah. Two, we are getting tons and tons of emails, cold outreach and cold direct messages on social that are also being driven by automation and AI. So with the, when we respond to one of those animation or automations and we expect a human conversation and then it sits dormant for five days and then we get a blasted auto response, we immediately lose trust in that person, trust in that brand. And so we are looking for story, not because we need a story, but we're looking for human connection is what we're actually looking for. And we want to know that the person on the other side of the conversation understands us, understands our fears, understands our problems. And that is the missing piece, I think, in a lot of marketing is when they like the question that companies ask is like, Allie, our emails aren't getting opened as often as I or as much as I want them to on HubSpot. How do we do that better? Okay, well, it's probably coming back to the subject line, which is probably coming back to your understanding of the customer and their fears. So it's it's all of those things that um, I think if you don't test and and really come back to the philosophy and psychology behind what you're doing, you will fail. And then, uh, you know, on, an, on another layer, okay, Apple now has this privacy thing where it doesn't show if you open emails. So like, P.S., don't even look at that metric anymore. It's like it's doing all of that kind of stuff uh, with folks. And so story to me is, can I help the customer see themselves in this problem and they see a next step forward so their life is better on the other side? That's why we watch movies, because we want them to resolve into beautiful endings. Right. Yeah. And there's that hero component where like uh -huh. that hero is coming along and yeah. Uh, we have a nice end to that story. So something you said there about the AI perspective. Yeah, I've, I've totally had that thought. And we don't have to dive too deep into AI today. But um, what are your thoughts on that? I'm just, I'm just genuinely interested on um, how much, you know, AI should play a part in our, in our strategies today, right? We're talking about growth. We're talking about marketing automation. It's inevitable that it's going to be there. But the example you gave was a real one. Right. Where you're expecting a human, you know, response and you get this AI response and then it just totally turns that person off. So what does an effective, you know, um, AI strategy look like as it pertains to to growth and connecting people with a brand? Yeah, I think AI has a lot of really great applications. We use it in our business. And I was uh, talking to the team yesterday about how to use our let's say we have a chat GPT 
uh, um, subscription. So how we use that in getting us more efficient at the brainstorming of great content or finding additional, like there's a um, there's a tool out by HubSpot called ChatSpot. And ChatSpot can help you then go find, find everybody that has um, HubSpot and WordPress on their website in the state of California. And so you can use it to go do some of that digging that you would have had to do manually or through you know a scraping tool or something in the past. It should speed up your process, but it really only speeds up and accelerates your growth when you have specificity and definition yeah. of what you're doing. And I think that's the that's the disconnect is companies are getting a ton of value out of this when they have, you know what, we're losing a lot of time in reading through meeting notes. How do we use AI to take meeting notes so that we don't do that? Well, what I'm that. seeing happening with that, for example, is, well, they just have Fathom or Otter attend their calls but they don't change the way they run meetings to make that AI the most efficient that it could be. So if you're using those tools, for example, you should restructure your meeting so that you have very specific things that you say throughout the meeting so that the AI knows whenever you say, all right, everybody, we're going to recap this meeting and go through action items. If you say that every single time, your AI can learn how to give you meeting notes that have action items and summary. It is amazing. But if you don't think about that, you're just like, oh, I'm just going to have AI attend our meeting. It's basically like having a, you know, my 10-year-old son attend. He can try to take notes, but he doesn't really know how to present them to me. So good. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing a lot more fireflies and otters pop into calls mm-hmm. these days. And you get these summaries and they're often, they're not helpful because they're not no, summaries. Like a... <laughs> they're not summaries no. at all. Right? Not at all. Yeah, such a good point there. Um, the, the fact that, yeah, helping us to reshape how we do meetings. I love that example. Hey, if you're enjoying the episode, I need to ask you a favor. Would you just take a minute to leave a quick rating and review? This helps the podcast get in front of other listeners just like you. Any help to get the word out is always much appreciated. Thanks for listening. Um, Tell me more about how HubSpot is helping in this space then. Um, You talked about the chat tool. HubSpot has. There's a new content tool on the platform that was recently released. Tell us more about that because I love your perspective. And what I've heard recently is that AI, if used well, yes, we should be presenting it with enough data so it can give us, you know, um, usable information. But if we use it so that we can become better decision makers, then we can produce better work, higher quality work, rather than asking the AI to do all the heavy lifting for us. So I love your perspective there, but yeah, let's dive deeper into how HubSpot is helping us or can help us to make better decisions. If there's other examples you can share. Yeah, really. The, so if you're creating content inside of HubSpot, you're probably doing a couple things. You're doing emails. You might be writing social posts. You might be writing web pages. And all of those things, the content assistant in HubSpot is similar to ChatGPT, but it starts with a slash. This is also true like in platforms like Notion. Um, you start with a slash. And then it gives you what it can do for you in that specific area of HubSpot. So for instance, in um, the social area, it can actually draft a post for you. And then you can read through it and determine if you wanted to post it or edit it or whatever. That's a very basic way to use it, which I think one of the challenges is most people are not as active as they should be on social. Not because social drives a ton of leads. Let's get this straight. Organic social is pretty dead for most brands. But we do what's called look alive social, and that is credibility social so that if someone went to your page to see, are they still in business? 
Do they still have relevant things to say and are they active? Look Alive Social, you should have a post at least every two weeks, if not weekly, on your social platform. Just say it. You can tell, you could go in and easily use the AI assistant or the content assistant in HubSpot, schedule out social posts for, you know, the next four weeks and it should take you maybe 20 minutes. If you're spending longer than that, you're spending more time on something that's not delivering results anyway. So like just cool your jets, right? In emails, a lot of times it's solving what I would call the blinking cursor problem. And the blinking cursor is like some of us love starting from scratch. The majority of humans are like, no, give me something to edit and I can write. But if I have to write from scratch, I am done. Like I will, they will find any reason to clean the toilet instead of actually writing an email, right? Because it just seems overwhelming. So the content assistant can give you, uh, like, I, in, a, in the video that I released yesterday, I was showing how I use it to brainstorm titles. So let's say I wanted to write a blog post about how to use webinars to drive leads. What are five titles? I asked the content assistant to give me those five titles. Once I had those five titles, I selected one that I liked. And then I had the content assistant give me an outline. What would an outline of a blog post be about this title? And then give me an outline. And then in that outline, I took each section and said, write a sort a short paragraph about this and give me these specific parameters. And so I'm using it to build the blog post. And then when I step in, I'm reading it to make sure it sounds like a human. I'm inserting personal examples. And then the last part of that is it's going to be run through an AI assistant at some point on the Google search side of things. Yeah. So you have to customize it. So it sounds like your brand delivers unique value and you don't just We have a blog post now about webinars. Like your goal is to get it read, not just published. So the last part of that, taking the ball down the field is where your job is. But the content assistant got you to the 50 yard line. And now like that happened a lot faster than it ever would before. Oh, good. I love that. Um, These are great examples that you're sharing as well, by the way. Something you said there was interesting. If we we back up a little bit, you said that organic organic social, sorry, is... It's not dead, but it's it's not what it used to be, right? Like I'm seeing it on my platforms for whatever reason. I can't get any engagement anymore on LinkedIn, right? Even my YouTube channel, I'm seeing, you know, views are declined across the board. Now we have another platform that we need to spend our time on. Right. I, I, I don't know if you slept at all last night, but, you know, it's uh, July 6th. Threads was released yesterday officially. Um, so question is, if it's not organic social and we're centering a lot of our our content around um, HubSpot and it being customer centric. What what should we be doing? What does an effective strategy look like? Is it is it email? Is it SEO? Is it blogs? Are are you dabbling in paid social? I think where should brands be spending their time and then utilizing AI to to grow if it's not going to be on these many different platforms? Yeah, I, this is kind of all linked to there, there's two ways to look at this. One is your very, you and I's very behavior as consumers is don't track me. I want to not have brands following me around with ads, like ad blockers, so on and so forth. Like we can smell sales and marketing miles and miles away. And so as we've become more accustomed to that, we've gone more under, we'll call it underground, but there is so many conversations that are happening in, I mean, the word for it would be like dark social, but Let's say you and I, like I've got a friend who has another company, um, not similar to ours, but in a different space. I know they use tool XYZ. I will text him and say, hey, Ben, what are your thoughts on tool XYZ? And he will tell me 
And that's a whole conversation about your product that you don't even know is happening. The same happens in Slack communities. It happens in Facebook groups. It happens, you know, at conferences. Like we, I think as marketers are being tasked with quote unquote tracking everything because everything's now digital. But in the real world, we have to understand a couple things at a higher level. Where are conversations about our customers' problems happening? And how do we find ourselves in the intersection or places where those are already happening that, that builds trust? So where that ends up in HubSpot is you should, if you don't already, you need to have articles and blogs that are answering questions that your customers are too scared to ask you to your face. So for example, too many times you get into software demos and the sales page is promised this, that, and the other thing in the moon. You get into the actual product and you're like, that's not actually what it does. And so then, you know, it's just whole, it's this whole terrible experience. So you have to have that kind of content. In HubSpot, you can look at how people are interacting with that content. And it should be one piece of insight to build your bigger strategy. You can also use HubSpot to run ads. And if they convert, you can see what ads are performing. Like all these things are giving you insights. Too often it's like giving, I'm going to go back to my 10-year-old, giving a 10-year-old a Lamborghini and then like he's just driving recklessly or not even getting out of the driveway because he can't touch the pedals. You have to understand what you're doing with your strategy first before you start building all these pieces on top of it. And most companies don't even have like content that supports their sales teams as well as it should. Um, Because my favorite example is when a salesperson has to reach out to a lead that has gone dormant, what is their playbook? They reach out, they act like they're going to abandon you. This is my last email. I'm never going to email you again. And you're like, fine, good, finally. Yeah. And they think they're threatening you. And you're just like, finally, right? Yeah. But if they had some sort of content that showed that they understood me and actually listened to my last pain, I would stay engaged. But I don't. They just write me off. I'm not closing. Bye. So I think that a lot of that, that's a very loaded answer, but um, that is how to effectively use HubSpot is you have enough data to know what's important to the person so your follow-ups and your communication with them are highly personalized without the hi there, hi alley. Like, let's face yeah. it, hi first name is not personalization, folks. Right. It sounds like you're riding this line between personalization and automation, right? Where, this is- you know, where, and HubSpot does a great job <laughs> of this, right? If you're writing any sequences, they'll let you know how you can further personalize it. So are you are we calling on our salespeople then to just spend more time in the sales process, do more research? and not rely as much on automation? Or are there just smart ways that you're suggesting to do that to make it look personalized? Yeah, there's a couple of things that are fundamentally challenging for us in the industry to do that. So first is like, if you're in an organization that's driving you to get a specific number of outcomes, like you're not gonna pay attention to anybody that needs nurtured two or three more times if you have to get a sale today. I mean, you were you were desperate. You're like, you know, a teenager wearing Axe body spray. Like you were wearing it because you got to get yourself something. You know, there's got to be a date for that prom. I love your analogies. Um, <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, I do have a teenager. Hopefully he's not wearing Axe body spray as I say this. But um, but I yeah, I think that the challenge with those organizations is the very structure of how the executives view value mm-hmm. um, is a rewarding behaviors that tend to put customers off. So as an industry, we have to understand it's, it's shocking to me how many executives will say, yeah, I hate all those emails in my inbox. Bleh. And then they'll tell their sales team they want to do the exact same thing to their audience. So like, mm, that doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. But the biggest thing with personalization is 
you can do it at scale. I I don't I don't have the keys to do that, but I do know right now we're going through a shift where people just have zero tolerance for fake. It's fake personalization, but it's really like good try, buddy. Like yeah. when they read the email, they're like, as a founder in the marketing industry in Nebraska, like yeah. good job pulling stuff from my LinkedIn profile, jerk. Like that is not personal. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the bigger, you're more likely to offend and piss off your audience than you are to connect with them with that kind of stuff. Oh man, um, I'm taking notes. I, I have a question here for you and I was going to ask it, but I, I have a personal question to ask because what you said there about the executive that, you know, hates those emails, but wants their team to do something similar, like that resonates with me quite a bit. <laughs> because in my sales process, I mean, um, 100% of our, our leads are, are inbound. Mm-hmm. And they come from YouTube, mostly. People watch a video, it's speaking on a pain point, they know me, they get to recognize me, and they come in, they already kind of know what to expect. And so we go through the motions, hear their problem, um, after the call, I send like a thank you email, which is a summary of the call, the deck we reviewed, and then some additional like content for them to view if they haven't already seen it, because I think it would be helpful. And then we get to a point where they're qualified and we want to put together a proposal for them. And then we present the proposal. Everything looks great. And I know what the issue is. It probably comes down to price and they're, mm-hmm. they're vetting other agencies, but you know, we never hear back from them, you know? It was it was a great conversation, built solid rapport. And in my mind, it's price. They have an issue with that and they're not getting back to me. So that's that's the context. That that's kind of the background. Now, I've been on the other side where I'm the prospect now and I'm, you know, being pitched by a salesperson. And, you know, the price looks good or it doesn't. I'm just not fully sold on it. And then they do the thing where they start following up every week, following up, following up, following up. And Without even thinking about it, I see their name or their subject line and I delete the email. <laughs> I'm not even opening it. I'm not even opening it. And I caught myself a couple of weeks ago where I'm like, man, are people doing that to me? Mm-hmm. Right? We we build this, this great rapport and great conversations, but are they doing that to me? And then I ask myself, why? Why would that be happening if that is the case? So Bring us back then. Like this is, um, we let's assume we have great marketing on our website, great social content. We answer all the questions. What are some of the steps we can take in that sales conversation and post sales conversation so that we don't get that inevitable ghosting from the prospect? Okay. Yeah, I mean, these are some things I've learned from really great, and I'm, and I'm still learning this, but really great sales um, folks or, or sales trainers or sales um, coaches, and that is. In the meeting, you haven't figured out enough. And I'm not saying this is you, but like this often happens yeah. that, that you and I have not figured enough about their decision making process. Are we one of many solution providers they're talking with right now? If I have that information, then I can know, and this is sneaky, but I can know if I go to their, there's tools to find this, like, have they connected with people on LinkedIn recently? That's probably who the competitors are. Like, that's a way to kind of look into that. Um, wow, if, good. if I'm the only solution provider they're looking at right now, this probably is going to be more of a competition with internal resources than competition with someone else. So I need to make the case of I can do it better, faster and avoid mistakes than their internal team doing. So I think a lot of it, like 
especially in a service-driven organization, um, is what I'm offering going to get them to their goals faster and more effectively than them doing it internally? Because, and especially like if in marketing, it tends to look like we we tend to make it look easy. Yeah. I'll just set up HubSpot and click, 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 click. Totally. And then uh, what they don't understand is these are the common problems that self-implementation leads to. And let me tell you three stories of how this has shaken out. And this reminds me of your organization right now. That sort of thing, because I've, I'm shocked at the number of times that we've gotten folks on the second round. They've hired somebody else to try to do it internally. Yeah. And then six months later, it's like, yeah, we kind of made a mess of this. Like, I love those it? conversations. I, I mean, love those, them. Those people, those people will be customers for life. Totally. Yeah. But you, and I think you want to give people permission to be that customer. So if it's like, listen, this may not be a priority for you right now, or you may feel like you're going to do it internally. And I'm going to tell you, if you go down that road, I will still be here on the back end. I just, I hate being on those calls six months from now where nothing different has changed in your organization. And we're yeah. still talking about this problem and you've lost all that time. So like yeah. you're building up that that fear. Um, the other recent conversation that helped me was a podcast episode featuring um, a new book by the author of The Challenger Sale, uh, but the book is called Jolt. And he talks about a decision-making framework that in The Challenger Sale, you're, you're typically having people, um, you're using a lot of like urgency and scarcity and that FOMO to drive a decision. And in this new book, he talks about we have so many options and so much information that we're better off making no decision than making a decision that leads to a poor outcome. And so this fear of messing up, if we can help them buy into the fact that they're not going to lose their job, like if, if you do a Asana um, implementation with someone and they put their trust in you and then it goes poorly and they get fired because they hired you. Yeah, it is not a and it's not a budget conversation. It's a fear of so good. What if what if once you come in, you understand that I told my boss I'm an Asana expert, and then he shows me up and says I'm not an expert. Yeah, you may have just lost the deal because like they are afraid of your expertise first and foremost. Right. So I think it's it's a lot of things, but those finding those things out in the sales process helps me me and my team understand what we're up against, and then you know how to effectively follow up because you've got more context. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. You're touching on so many, so many great points. Um, how did those conversations differ between the different levels of businesses that you've worked with? You've worked with early stage startups, uh, more mature companies. Do you find that the executives in those different spaces think a little bit differently about this? And what do those um, different decisions look like when it comes to rolling out an effective marketing or sales strategy? Yeah, for more established companies, you're really you're typically in a category. So if you happen to be looking for project manage or pro, yeah, project management software, you're going to your goal is going to become like you need to be in the top of mind first three to five options that someone says we need a new PM system. We should look at blank 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 blank. Like yes. that's how they create their shortlist. Your whole strategy needs to be how do we end up on the shortlist? And then once we're on the shortlist, what is our key to winning and what types of customers tend to choose us? That has to be clear. For newer companies, you're often trying to either displace a current solution or you're trying to replace a solution that seems like it's already been fixed, aka Google Docs. Tons of people have solved their problem using Google Sheets. Why would they move out of Google Sheets and go to a CRM? We have to highlight what gains they get 
while resisting this fear of change, not because they don't want to change, but because, again, they may get found out. My boss is going to creep on me in the CRM. I don't like technology. I'm trying to sell things over here. Blah. Yeah. Um, so I think it depends on where you're at in the maturity of your company. And then, quite frankly, if you're a startup and you're trying to scale your efforts and build long-term marketing strategy, I mean, you're looking at 30, 60, 90 days at a time. Like yeah. you're so new to the product market fit. You know, HubSpot may release a new feature that renders your entire technology ineffective because now they got it inside the platform instead of outside. So you're, I mean, it is very much a, like it's kind of, it's a, it's a game of chess. But uh, but where you are, those two scenarios, you have to understand that because displacing a current technology, that's going to be like try to displace HubSpot if you're in it for five years. Or, that, that's yeah. tough. Yeah. It's a lot to move. It's a lot to think about. Right. And it can be very disruptive. Um, I want to go back to something you said earlier. Um, imagining the person that has hired you, they trust you, you're the expert. And one scenario was they are the internal expert and they don't want you to come and overshadow them. And then the other scenario is they're putting all their trust in you, right, to deliver this solution. Their boss isn't happy and then, you know, they get fired. So I actually had this happen to me um, once before where there was a um, customer that we had brought them through the process. They came from YouTube, loved everything was being presented, um, signed the proposal. We're super excited to get started. And we're going through the engagement and we typically will work in, in workshops where if they have a problem, we're trying to capture the current state of that problem and then map out potential solutions for a future state. And then we implement that into a sauna. So we're going through this and we're realizing that the problem that the customer thought they needed solving and in this mm-hmm. case, they were someone that, you know, got approval from their boss and got the funding and hired us. So they thought the problem was this. And so we go through and they're telling us that's what the problem is. And we're trying to solve for this problem. And we get into it. And I'm realizing this was misscoped. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this is not the problem. There's a bigger underlying problem here. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, do we keep going and under deliver? Because that person's not going to be happy because we did not deliver on what we promised them. So mm-hmm. then the conversation looks like, hey, this was misscoped. We have a bigger problem here. It's going to cost you X amount more, you know, to actually um, get to the root of this problem and solve it for you. And I ended up having to like refund them their money because I didn't mm-hmm. want to take on this project, do a bad job or, you know, be misaligned in what the solution would be. And then have them be unhappy with the proposed solution when I knew that there were deeper rooted problems there that were not uncovered. Has that ever happened to you where like you're in a situation, you know, they think they know more than you or they think they know the solution because they've been in front of it and you've had to kind of course correct or shift gears halfway through? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful example because I think we've all been through that personally where I'm sure some this can be attributed to someone very smart, not me, is a problem well-defined is half-solved. And it's true. Once you really define the problem, you can then take steps to remedy it. But half the time, we only have symptoms. And it's very, like, medical in the way that we look at it. Like, we have to run additional diagnostics. We don't expect a doctor to give us a prescription. But we have to go through a certain amount of tests. And how many tests is too many tests and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. But um, the more that I've learned about the difference in selling services versus products is consumers don't think I'm buying a product or I'm buying a service. They just think I'm taking a next step or I'm signing a proposal. 
But really, when we're, especially in services sales, like like you and I are both in, you end up with the question of, um, am I solving, is this the actual problem that that is causing all the issues? And we can only know so much from the outside. So one thing that we are starting to do, we, we haven't done this before, we're starting to do this, is people will ask for pricing on fixing all of these things in their HubSpot. And they want to know that before they move forward. And we can do two things. We can say, one, here's your estimate of a range based on these core assumptions. And these core assumptions mean that if we get into this and we find that this isn't true, this will affect the ability for us to solve it within this this price. Um, so if in fact that happens, we will need to have another conversation about X, Y, and Z. Or two, um, we're not going to give you a price for all these things. We're going to give you a pilot and we're going to go in and make sure we solve one tiny problem. And that tiny problem will give us visibility into the rest of this. So it's it, it's the same like I go in for an oil change and you can find out that I have these other issues in my car. But just like the oil change scenario, like there is still going to be fear that like, oh my God, once you get into my HubSpot, they're going to see all the things and like I'm going to be exposed. So our job is always to lessen the fear before anything because that is there are there's a book called um how to oh gosh it's on my shelf over there how to win client business when you don't know where to start and the author doug fletcher talks about all of these fears that exist in a professional services sale and what those fears mean to us in our sales and marketing and business development efforts so i think in that scenario we have to teach our clients how to buy services from us because otherwise they're going to be like, just give me a proposal. That's what I asked all the other firms to do. And if they will not, if they don't want to phase it out, we're just not going to be a good fit because you're going to expect way too much from us. And I, I have to be fair here. So it, it's it's shocked me the number of times people haven't bought professional services. And then they go to hire a consultant for the first time. And they're looking at you like this magic fairy that's going to come in and make everything better but you haven't, you don't even know what's in the potion yet. Like there's no way. Um, the other thing that it reminds me of is that very terribly awful scripted part of an HGTV show where they're like, oh, PS behind the wall, there's termites. Um, right. There's always yeah. going to be something behind the wall, folks. Always, always, always behind the wall. Yeah. Um, and you just got to kind of set those expectations. I love that. So you've obviously spent a lot of time figuring out your ideal client avatar right? You know their pain points in and out. So that kind of pilot, is that a phased approach then you're selling them or is the pilot essentially an audit or a discovery where you're doing your best to uncover all of the things? And again, I loved the analogy of the oil change. There's always other things going on, right? And so is the goal to uncover what all those things are and then just focus in? How do you typically approach that and why? Yeah, we have two ways that we're approaching that now. One is uh, people, they come to us and they just say, my HubSpot is a mess. And so we ask, like, what do you mean? What do you think is a mess? And so they, we've actually got a service now called Fix My HubSpot because those were the Love words it. that people were using, right? Um, but we're we're moving forward to yeah, Fix My Asana. There you go. That's your next service. I'm ready to get down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But the next uh, the next piece of that is, if you don't really know what a good HubSpot looks like, you might not know that there are things that you're not getting, like you're paying, let's say, 1500 bucks a month yeah. for HubSpot and you're using it like it's, it's a $400 a month tool. Let's figure out how to get the rest of that value out. So audits are going to be where we we help you know pull that out. 
I think the thing that causes issue with oil changes and like every time they present your air filter to you, it's always dirty, right? Of course. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but so P.S. If you haven't figured out how to fix your own air filter for like 10 bucks at Napa Auto Parts, like you can do that. I've done it. It's easy. But on the other hand, what what a good mechanic who earns your trust over time will do is say, these are the issues that come up. These are the ones that will cause issues if you don't fix them in the next three months. And these are the ones that you could probably wait for a while. If you want to fix them today, great. You will probably need to do something about this in the next two years. So I'm just putting it on your radar so you know. So when something, something breaks, I can be like, yeah, remember how we talked about that? That is what a good advisor slash person should do. Even in product sales, you might say, hey, if you're going to start with the starter suite in HubSpot, you will get a tremendous amount of value for your current use case. Now, if you want to do blank, blank, and blank, you're always going to need the pro version for that. And that runs X amount a month. So So I'm telling you this now, like it's that, again, it seems so straightforward to be like, let's lay expectations. But sometimes we want the sale so bad that we're afraid if we introduce anything like that, they're going to run away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that. And when I first started influencing HubSpot, I ran into that problem a couple of times and learned really quickly, right, to make mm-hmm. sure we're exploring all those options because you get into the situation, like you said, where you promise them that you're going to have, you know, um, lean scoring and automated <laughs> sequencing and, you know, workflows and all of this stuff. And then you get into their, their portal and they don't have marketing pro or they don't have sales pro. So now you can't do automations on the sales pipeline. And then you're having the conversation about having to now upgrade their portal. Right. Okay. And that, you know, um, is an obviously uh, an obvious tick against you and, and helps and assist, sorry, in losing that trust with the customer. Yeah. So um, great points. And yeah, I've absolutely written down, fix my Asana. I'm going to go change my service <laughs> offering go. after this. Um, Ali, I'd love to know you've you've shared so much today and you probably already said it, but if you had advice for some of these B2B owners, executives, when it comes to their position or how they view marketing and sales automation, what would your advice be to get them over the hump, the place that they're stuck at right now? Sure. The first place that you need to look is what do you know about your customers and how can that be segmented in a way that allows you to automate actions against it? So just like I mentioned earlier, what goes in comes out. So what questions are you asking in your forms that allow you to segment that based on problem, based on situation? We tend to think of like demographics, like tell me how big your sales team is and tell me these things. We've found that questions like which best describes you? sales, marketing, owner, whatever, like they can throw themselves in a bucket more than like I've seen a drop down where it's like C-suite, VP, director, manager. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. the owner. So like, sure. Totally. Um, the other thing is we've been experimenting with some open fields and in a world where customers describe their problems in a very unique way. And many times we don't have the opportunity to truly talk to them because they're not ready to talk to us until they are really far in the sales process. So how do we get these real words? We've been using an open field on our webinar registrations of what do you hope to learn in today's webinar? It's open field. And I have from our last webinar this last month, I have 200 open field responses of what people want to learn about lead nurturing. Wow. Okay. If that was, if this isn't my company and it's someone else's company and they're doing that and I'm like, guys, this is an entire treasure trove of content ideas right here. 
This is how they voice that problem. And it gives me psychological insight to how to create automation sequences around their pains in their work. So good. Yeah, because in a lot of cases, we're building these forms, you know, with single select to multi-select so that we can segment the data and we can better report on that data when like these people, they don't fit all the time into our parameters. And again, we don't know, even as a service providers, what we don't know. So I love okay. that. Great insights. Um, I have to wrap it up today. I so don't want to <laughs> because I could keep talking and asking questions. Same. Like, I, again, I've used HubSpot for years. And you're the first, I've listened to podcasts on HubSpot. Um, I've explored it myself. And a lot of the stuff that you shared today, even the open fields is just like blowing my mind right now. I've never heard someone that speak as intelligently on on the HubSpot platform as mm, you thanks. have. So I, I definitely appreciate your time today and for you uh, sharing. So we have your website, um, simplestrat.com. Obviously, um, people can connect with you uh, at YouTube as well, at HubSpot Hacks. Where else are you spending time? Where do you want to direct people today if it isn't one of those resources that I've already shared? I would say HubSpot uh, Hacks on YouTube is probably the best place to find us and consistently be um, notified of new content. But we also have a newsletter that comes out every two weeks called the, it's the HubSpot Hacks newsletter. I mean, you know, fancy. And you can sign up either on our website or you can sign up over at the YouTube channel. It's on the it's pinned in every comment on the videos there. So, and as always, all of the links will be in the show notes below the episode you're listening to or watching right now. Ali, thank you so much for being here. Definitely appreciate your time and uh, for you sharing today. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to seeing the Fixing My Asana. It'll be there. It'll be there. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the InSystems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Thank <laughs> you.